to the chopper, Eric. Get to the chopper. He's got a new movie coming out, doesn't he? With Sylvester Stallone. Well, with Stallone? Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm all over that, man. Are you? Are you? I yes. You're as all a over fact, them or all over that? No, no. That mm. movie. If you if you go to see that movie, you literally will not be able to catch a glimpse of Schwarzenegger or Stallone. You'll just see me. I'm in that oh. video, all really? over the screen in that movie. Nice. Well, I'm all over uh, recording with you fellas here on Game of Owns. We have recently committed murder. Um, <laughs> our show has collectively recently committed murder. Um, that murder has put an end to all of the trouble uh, regarding our live stream providers. So we know that moving forward in the future, they're going to be squeaky, effervescently clean. Now, how did you bribe the Lannisters to give you to let you use ice? Well, it took lots of gold. And it took lots of comforting from the Mother of Dragons, who was traveling with me at the moment, who will unfortunately be traveling not with us very much this offseason, because we are now three-fifths through her chapters, it seems. <laughs> her chapters are staggered, um, you know, and, and, and that's kind of, I, I guess, looking back now on the TV show, she was given, you know, a lot, I don't want to say more to do, but, it, you know, her storyline was pretty much spread out equal to everybody else's, but ultimately not a whole lot happened. Well, she got the nod this year for the, for the nomination. So, you know, obviously she plays a major role in the TV series. And this is where so much of our season two, season three, what is Danny doing came in because they took a lot of leaps on the show side to make it so active, you know? Yeah. Well, actually I was wondering if they cut something out that, that does play into this chapter that we have for Daenerys here three, Micah, did you remember in the series if they showed or talked about these uh, pureborns or the – what's the other one? The brother – The Spice Traders. Spice Traders. Were they also in Karth in the TV show? Because I can remember the 13. Of course, they come out and meet her um, just like in the book. But I was under the impression that that was the one ruling body of Karth. And now we learn in the books that there's actually sort of three factions not mentioning – and not including the warlocks in the series, no, or the TV series, no. I don't, I don't remember seeing anything other than the thirteen who kind of greet her at the gates when she first shows up. And they did give the spice traders a nod by making that man. He just called himself a spice trader. He was sort of the head guy at the moment. You know, he was just like, "Oh, I'm standing out here and I'm important, but also I trade spices." So I feel like that was the contextual nod. To the book lore, you know, it's. I mean, I think it's just one of those things where, if it's not completely necessary to include uh, within the TV show, and they can kind of cut corners um, with without including, you know, in in this case, like you're saying, Eric, two additional bodies of people, uh, then they're going to, you know, include probably. The most meaningful group of people and the most impactful group of people just from a visual standpoint. The, the 13th. Yeah, well, I, I looked it up and it's actually – so the pureborn are also known as the enthroned and then there's the – there's them, the 13, and then the ancient guild of Spicers. So all of them kind of – oh, and the tourmaline brotherhood uh, as well and they all vie for control of Karth. So the 13 is really just – I mean the top of – the tip of the iceberg when it comes to Karth, you know, comparing the book to – TV series, we seem to have um, just breezed through Karth in this show, uh, considering there's a lot more. We talked about it 
when they were pro- approaching the gates of Karth here in the book, remember there was so much majesty and I felt like there was so much going on in the city and we were kind of thinking then like, damn, we really missed out on a lot of cool things they could have implemented into the TV show. But now with Danny in this chapter, we got to know so much more about how the ruling class in this city actually operates. And I feel like there's there's even more story here than in many parts of Westeros. There's so much happening in Karth. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, even talking about the ritual that was expected of Danny when she was to go before these pureborns, um, you know, a series of bribes and compliments and all, all sorts of, uh, I guess, groundwork that needs to be done before these people will even see you. Um, and the fact that they did see her, she, she went through it. She nearly went, I don't want to say broke doing it, but she spent a lot of money you know, getting everything together, then sat in front of them, and they said, "No, no, 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 they, they, no, no, yes, no, yes. <laughs> no." Why not? That's a, such a a great point. I think, though, because you you almost forget that life is going on outside of Westeros, right? Because we spend so much time there, but yet here you are in the East. And it's really the only glimpse into the East that you get, at least right now, um, you know, with Daenerys. And there's a whole nother world that exists and life is going on. And really, minus a few whispers here and there, they could really not care who's sitting the Iron Throne in King's Landing. Not only that, but I mean, and I think in the show illustrated this too, Danny sends her riders north, south, east. The only one that survives is east. She's gone all this way east to get to Karth. Karth is not the furthest east you can go. In fact, Jorah advises her, as does Quaith, Captain Creepyface, mm-hmm. you know, to go to Ashai, which is east of Karth. And Jorah says go even east of there. So they're not close to being at the eastern end of the world. But um, I think it's Jorah or maybe it's Zaro who, who actually calls Westeros the corner of like the back corner of the – the whole world. He, he, it's some derogatory, like not derogatory, but dismissive term that as if Westeros is just some little nothing on the other end of the world. Yeah. Um, really blew me away considering most of the story takes place in Westeros at this point. My point was more geographically speaking, right? That she's east of what's happening, um, where most of this book is taking place. And, but, but they're in a part where they, they can afford the luxury of acting like Westeros doesn't even matter is, is my point. They're so far east. That nothing, whoever rules Westeros doesn't matter to them. We were going to talk about something and it was going to create some laughter, I think, because Eric and I, we haven't seen this yet. And we wanted to watch this on the show with you guys listening in because I am a massive, massive fan of what the bad lip reading people are doing. Can we call them that? Bad lip reading people? Bad lip reading people, the BLRs. The BLRs. The blurs blurs, uh, made... What it looks to be, I haven't seen it yet, but a lot of people that I know have seen it, including all of you listeners have seen it. And I've waited. Eric has waited. Micah has been impatient. And we have decided to watch it here. It's like the world premiere of this thing that we haven't seen yet. Yeah, this is this is something Danny should watch, too, because she's feeling down that the pureborn turned her down. I like I like how impatience um, is just the fact that I watched it before it was even on winnerscoming.net. <laughs> oh, oh. It was oh. something that got passed around at work. It is pretty <laughs> funny. I will give it that. Shall oh, we? Let's watch it. Let's watch it. Oh, oh gosh. Medieval land. 
Fun time world. Blur, BLR. Okay, people, we got one week until the park opens, all right? So let's run through it all again. Please, don't forget your accents. Get off my case. It's hot in this get up, you child. <laughs> Eddie. Got seven days to get this place ready. <laughs> if I don't make it work, I'm right back to the finger painting college. <laughs> my junk is numb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I beat my tongue. Someone get the Filipino employee back on that horse. <laughs> this place could become the best medieval theme park in the world. The only problem is that a lot of the employees oh, here so work good. about as hard as a bucket of apples. Yeah, Bobby B. <laughs> <laughs> it's beer and a really ton of stomach? powdered donuts. It's powerful, yeah. Yeah. Powdered sugar. <laughs> so well matched. Get freaky. Get what I mean? I can see your crack. Don't look at me. Bet your crack went out with your face. <laughs> you know what that even means? It means you're pathetic. Ooh. I hate that kid. Throw these poops on me. Listen, son. I give you four cents each for them vanilla wafers. You can eat sand, young man. I mean, this guy's really ridiculous. Oh! Uh-oh. Hey, girl, how you been? How you been? Facelift. Facelift. Ooh, girl, you Facelift. Facelift. Real good. Facelift. Are you a fan of the Pikachu? <laughs> uh, ooh, she definitely gets a huzzah. Dude, that's Denise. Last night, we met this cool guy, and he was black. And then we went to the Firebug's house. And I was so good. The Beth over drinks. Is that right? Totally. I mean, she doesn't just sip it. She gets trashed and unrolls my socks. But I eat shrimps. You got the dope? Yeah, for shiz. Hey, man. Hey, listen. Man, I don't know if I'm able to talk to you. You got to stick How do they do this? Kind sir, I'm evil stud muffin. Really? You bet. I got girls in my dreams. How do you feel about people who go Hadouken? Hey, let's dance to music. That's my jam, Holmes. I've always wanted to work at a Renaissance Fair, Mr. Eddie. Dang Here it, it comes. You don't ever call it a Renaissance Fair, all right? Uh. Do you trust toothpaste? Yeah, I think it's all right. Go have your butt checked. <laughs> no, no thanks. Psych. I bet that you were a vaguely hot woman back in your day. You've been busy? I'm working on a gravity belt. <laughs> hey, Jimmy, how's it going, all right? Today, I had a cheesesteak. Then I got a Walkman. Like a fancy Walkman? Kind of. I mean, anyone who puts a slice of pizza on bread is a pukache pukache. That's Aztec for lazy farmer. I looked on Wikipedia. Cool stuff. Now I'm going to touch you. Oh, you want to hear your dad sing to you? Because, you know, I groove to Kanye's new stuff. Save Ferris. Look, Petey, I just want to comfort you. A nice massage and everything. Okay. No, thank you. I but, don't. Uh, I mean, I just don't. Zuba, 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 zuba. <laughs> That's what it sounds like you're saying right now. <laughs> yes. Darth oh, yeah. Vader oh. is bad. <laughs> and his assistant is a mouse. <laughs> Use the force to fix all his cats. <laughs> yes, yes, it did. In the basement, I hid some tube socks. And that was just crazy. Who hides dumb tube socks? Old Viking dudes. <laughs> Tell me how you found the kitten meat. What does that mean? The kitten meat I put in my burgers everybody just ate? Oh. What? What? They're just baby cats. Jeez. <laughs> um, did that just happen? 
I'm not feeling good. Because <laughs> we should have not eaten kitten meat. <laughs> Poor baby. <laughs> Need a song. They're both, that's so bunny. good that they're both laying up. That's funny. You're so pretty and cute <laughs> and you precious me. It's not doing much good. You dress ratchet. You're so mean. You're so mean. Well, you're a big toot. Well, you jerk. At least I never kissed Johnny Shotsman. <laughs> he was a Capricorn. <laughs> Your dog is ooey and it stinks. Oh, come on. Now I ask you a question. You think they should make iPhones for babies? Because I do. <laughs> <laughs> I would totally watch this. I would totally go to this theme park. That'd be fun. Stan's got no ketchup. (laughs) This is great. (laughs) Jazz hands. We should start with (laughs) it. Listen, if you can go for the cheap laugh, do it. That's it. No. Medieval and fun time world. Medieval and fun time world. Coming this winter. Ah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very well done. A little dance party at the end. Yeah. Yeah, look at that. Very cool. Breaking it down. Yes. So, uh. <laughs> We uh, challenge all of our listeners, if you haven't seen that yet, head over to Winter's Coming because uh, it's on the front page. Or you can just Google it, Bad Lip Reading, Game of Thrones stuff. I pretty much showed everyone I know that video, but I haven't watched it until then. Pretty good. Pretty funny. Now, see, I was going to make some kind of a, a funny transition there to mm. back to what we were talking about, which is Daenerys' chapter. Oh, <laughs> jeez. Huh. Can't really think of one, but I can say this. Hey, everybody, we were talking about Daenerys in her third chapter. We won't get to see her for another eight chapters, but while we're here, let's talk about Zaro. Zaro wants, apparently wants, to marry Danny, but here's the thing. She has his number. Uh, she has seen the pretty boys that flit about his mansion, uh, scantily clad in silkies. So scantily. it's a little bit questionable. Danny doesn't quite understand this because... Um, and, and look, she doesn't bring it up to him, but it's in her inner monologue. She's like, there are all these boys at his place. So what's um, going on? Not really revealed until the end when Jorah is actually able to, you know, s- assemble some, some Legos and some logic, logos, logic, Legos. There was a joke there somewhere. Um, I failed at it, but he, he's able to, <laughs> he's able to figure it out. But in the meantime, um, Zaro basically spends this whole chapter is, is mostly Zaro and Danny. She's lamenting her loss at the Pure Blood Council or Pure Born Council. <laughs> you intentionally slipped slip. up there? Yeah. No, 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 no. The, the Legos thing was intentional, but uh, the Pure Blood thing was. So Danny and Zaro are traveling about Karth. And when I say traveling about Karth, I don't mean they're in a horse-drawn carriage. I don't mean that they're walking around with the common folk inside of this gated city, because how common can they be, right? <laughs> they're actually riding and a brand new gift that Zaro has given to Danny. It's called a, a palanquin. It's like an old school version of a horse-drawn carriage on somebody's shoulder. By old school, you mean yeah, other people carry it for you. It's like <laughs> early Britney Spears music videos, basically. And we've seen Tyrion <laughs> and, and Joffrey get carried around in these. But, you know, Danny and Zaro. And then and apparently in the books here, Zaro's not too heavy to carry around. So that's oh, not yeah. much of a problem And for this certain palaquin party. But it's plated in goldness, and it's beautiful. And to Zaro, this should be enough to win Danny's heart. This should be enough to say, okay, Zaro, I will marry you. In the audiobook, 
Uh, he's got this very smooth talking voice, like, uh, Danny, my precious. Oh, I love you. Yes. You you're tell me things I like. You're beautiful. He's exotic. He's foreign. Uh, that's, that's bizarro in the, in the audiobooks, everybody. Um, but you, you know, it, it's something that Danny, she's kind of worried. I think that he's maybe her only option. Uh, so she asks him again, you know, to give her some ships because she's like, I know you have some ships, but he's like, ah, another day goes. I, I lose another ship. He's like, I'm a, you know, some pirates. It's unreliable. Um, he's reluctant to give her what she wants, but he still wants something from her. And it's, it's just a little confusing to her. I think the, the most interesting part about this entire chapter is learning about how Danny has essentially gathered her gifts. People just bring gifts. It's crazy. It's like, uh, it's like the life of Brian. When everybody mistakes uh, Brian for Jesus and they all show up with some gifts for him. Um, it's like, oh, are you the Messiah? It's like, no, he's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. He's um, the mother of dragons instead. If you birth them, they will come. During this journey, their little uh, horse and buggy powered by human <laughs> beings uh, actually get stopped along the way. Uh, and Daenerys steps out and she basically comes across what what I would call just like a a street performer right if if it's like if you're walking down and right the city and downtown you come across like a town square you have a bunch of performers and there's this performer who can climb a, a fire like ladder and really it's revealed to be a, a much larger distraction so that while he's this person is sort of enchanting them with his ability to to climb this fire ladder and then disappear there's this woman who's going around cutting the purses of all the people who are watching and collecting money um from them and Danny is quick to point that out she notes that from her time you know with um magister illyrio that she saw such people um but then all of a sudden as she is apt to do. Captain Creepy Face Woo. shows yep. up, right? Uh, Quaith makes she does. an appearance. She does. She has some interesting things to tell Danny. I mean, I imagine this scene is like uh, the one in Aladdin during One Jump Ahead where there's like firewalkers and stuff. Because <laughs> apparently this uh, ladder climber guy who disappears in thin air, by the way. Um, so, hey, I mean, if you're going to have a distraction, at least have a good distraction, right? That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. <laughs> according yeah. to Quaith, according to Captain Creepyface, he couldn't even walk on hot coals six months ago. Yeah, I actually wanted to read that quote, though, because I think that it, it not only relates to this mage, right? But I think it in some ways ties into Danny, right? And it ties into her dragons because... I would agree. I would agree. Uh, but yeah, let me just read it. Half a year gone, that man could scarcely wake. Is it wake fire from dragon glass? I, yeah. I assume it's wake. I assume so. If yeah. you have some dragon glass, you could actually get fire from it. That's crazy. Yeah, uh, he had some small skill with powders and wildfire, sufficient to entrance uh, a crowd. While his cut purses did their work, he could walk across hot coals and make burning roses bloom in the air. But he could no more aspire to climb the fiery ladder or fiery ladder, fiery, 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 uh, than a common <laughs> fisherman could hope to catch a kraken in his nets. I, I think that does tie into Danny because you know, uh, half a year ago, what could she claim? You know, what could her dragons claim? It's, so I think there's a little bit of 
a tie-in to her in the statement that Quaith is making here. Well, furthermore, Quaith blames Danny for the fact that this man can now do magic. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of what we saw at the end of season two when the warlocks were like, hey, you're close to us, so we can use magic again, and our magic is so much more powerful now. Yeah, it's it's the dragons. It's the fact that this mythical creature has come into existence again. It's almost like their life force is something that these uh, saps, if I can call them that, can sap can 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 reach into, um, you know, and channel kind of the the magic aura surrounding the dragons. So not only is it tangible in the way that the excitement for these beasts brings gifts to Danny, which she then can sell to make up some of you know, the money that she lost bribing the, the pureborn for no reason. Um, but ultimately it's, it's making a lot of other people able to do these magical feats and able to, it's like, it opens people's eyes, their third eyes again, for some reason, the fact that these dragons have been pulled out of, uh, non-existence. Right. But this is just, it's, it's also very strange that, that the White Walkers are stirring. It's also very strange that the dragons even hatched, you know? Right. It's also very strange that Bran's gifts are coming to him. It's also very strange that Jojen and Mira decided to visit. I mean, all of these things, I, I feel like what this is trying to say, bottom line, beneath all of this, all the subtext in the book is leading toward this thought, which is whatever mythical, magical deity being sort of world situation as a whole i'm just over generalizing whatever this was and i'm doing my hands in a big circle in front of me both of them so whatever this was whatever it used to be whatever was gone for so long is now slowly returning best there is best there was best there ever will be you know what i mean it's now slowly it's now <laughs> coming back so come here. You know, I wanted to point out uh, three things really quickly. First, it's interesting. Yes, that's that's really cool. Also, that it's happening during winter or like when winter's on its way, which is typically a period of death. And um, not to say people won't be dying during this winter. I'm sure they will. But you know what I'm saying, right? Spring is where everything comes alive again. So this magic shouldn't really be happening at the end of fall. Uh, you know, coming back into the world just as the trees die and everything goes barren. You know, that doesn't make any sense. So that's interesting. Yeah. Me. I mean, I don't know how much snow Karth generally gets, though. You know what yeah, I mean? that's fair. This is like the desert wasteland. When Jorah is uh, consulting or, or um, sorry, Danny is consulting Jorah at the end of the chapter, he says to Danny that if Illyrio knew that the eggs would hatch, he would have sat on them himself. <laughs> uh, and I thought that was funny, but the, that's kind a good of the mother of dragons. I think he would. he would make an okay mother of dragons. He, he seems to be able to. They never want for anything. But the point is that only Daenerys would have been able to hatch them. I, I, at least that's my take on it. Well, someone with the, the you know the blood of the dragon well, in them. Yeah, that is you know quite interesting. The fact that these fates are are aligning. A lot of things are happening. There is a big question mark. I know like you were talking about before Zach the White Walkers and and Bran. It's interesting though that. Now all of this magic is starting to really take shape and, you know, is it tied or what? I think the bigger question is what is it all tied to at the end of the day? You know, is it tied back to just Daenerys and her ability to bring these dragons to life? Or is it something larger than that, that all of these are tying into? And not only that, but what else is she causing to happen that maybe we don't know about or we'll learn about in the future? Because, you know, to give a, a street performer essentially the ability to do more with fire 
to do more with magic seems very simplistic in nature. If we can change gears just slightly, uh, I wanted to mention that apart from being an utter sex symbol um, here, which Danny, of course, she knows. You you know. You know when you're when everybody's lusting after you, don't you? She also fears that she really appears to these people as nothing more than a beggar. Really interesting character moment where she sells pretty much everything that she gets in gifts except for a crown. And it's because her brother sold his crown, I guess, or their mother's crown, um, when they were young and, and everybody looked down on, uh, Viserys for this. I always confuse Varys and Viserys. Uh, just in name, not in character at all. One has no they, testicles, the other has no head. Easy to remember. <laughs> mm, yeah, okay. Uh, well, I guess Viserys did get a crown back in the end, didn't he? But he sold it and everybody called him a beggar. So there's this great line in, you know, in the books where Danny's like, well, uh, if I keep my crown, then they'll call me a, a queen. Um, but she still feels like she's having to go around. She has no real power and she's relying on people like Zaro. Uh, whom she, I would say, nearly married, um, you know, until Jorah kind of came through with his knowledge to provide her with the army and the ships that she needs. To give a little context for everyone that isn't reading along with us, this is a passage directly from the book. Just a few of the gifts that Daenerys has been receiving because she is who she is. It says, the trickle he started soon swelled to a flood. Now, this was all organized by Zaro, which Danny was very thankful for. Trader captains brought lace from Mir. Chests of saffron from E.T., amber and dragonglass out of a shy. Merchants offered bags of coin, silversmiths, rings and change. Pipers piped for her. Tumblers tumbled and jugglers <laughs> juggled. While dyers draped her in colors she had never known existed. All right? This is grandiose. A pair of Yogos Nyai presented her with one of their striped zorses, which we all know is better than a horse. Black and white and fierce. <laughs> a widow brought the dried corpse of her husband covered with the crust of silvered leaves, which was so aptly sent to us in tweet form by Polisa, who says her own for Danny chapter three is the widow who brings her husband's mummy to lay at Danny's feet. LOL own. That is an own. Jesus. Let me read that again. A widow brought the dried corpse of her husband covered <laughs> with the crust of silvered leaves. Such remnants were believed to have great power, especially if the deceased had been a sorcerer, as this one had. Yes. And the Tourmaline Brotherhood pressed on her a crown wrought in the shape of a three-headed dragon, which is badass, which is why she wants to keep it, obviously. The mm. coils were yellow gold, the wings silver, and the heads carved from jade, ivory, and onyx. Boom. Pokemon. Onyx. Onyx. Geodude. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we can hardly keep it together. Um, <laughs> I wanted to uh, talk a little bit more about Quaith, uh, a.k.a. Captain Ness Creepy Face. Mistress of the Hidden Face. Yes. <laughs> She's very uh, mysterious, right? I mean, that's that goes without saying, but... You know, she, she gives her a lot of counsel though in here and, you know, she says you must leave this city soon or you'll never be permitted to leave at all. Mm. And, you know, and then she gives her a little bit of a cryptic response when Danny asks, well, where do you want me to go? And she says, to go north, you must journey south. To reach the west, you must go east. To go forward, you must go back. And to touch the light, you must pass beneath the shadow. This sounds like oh. trying to drive. This sounds like trying to get around in Chicago. Can I just say that you got to go north? To, <laughs> you got to go north to go south. At least she's not trying to park because it would be even worse then. <laughs> it, it does, though. It, it sounds a little bit like what uh, Miri Mazdor told her. Um, it does in Game of Thrones. 
But I feel like this is this is much more cryptic in a way that it's attainable. You know, she's telling Danny that there's going to be a hard path in front of her, essentially, and she needs to make the right decision. She doesn't need to make the decision on what is easy because staying in Karth while all of her people are being fed and she's being carried around, that's easy. You know, visiting people and burying half of your chest to try to get ships. The point Quaith is trying to make here is that's probably not the best method, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, your people did what they did through use of fire and blood. This is the kind of person Danny is. She is the dragon, and the dragon doesn't beg people, essentially, yeah. is what I got out of it. She does want her to go to Ashai, and Danny realizes this. And the question is, when will she go there? What will she learn there? You know, truth is a very... Mm cryptic answer you know it's but the a, truth awaits yeah it doesn't provide much context the truth truth about what truth about love well, i think it's clear that we're going to be hearing more from her with things like this because i don't think she's done i like how quaith quaith will probably be following danny for a while i think and 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 i can't help but wonder what effects the dragons have had on quaith uh, and her magical ability, which I assume she has magic. It would seem that she has some kind of magic because she the just kind of pops sight. up. At least a good decorator. <laughs> yeah, and, and and we know that um, you know there's a lot of talk of dragons as it relates to Ashai as well. So it will be interesting to see what happens then. So now, basically, the the way that this chapter wraps itself up is with her talking to Jorah, seeking counsel from Jorah. And he basically tells her that it's time to leave, right? I mean, yeah, nothing here is going to help her, but he wants her to go even further east. And she says, well, hold on a second. I keep getting further and further away of the place that I need to eventually go back to. Yeah. Or want to go back to. No, it's true. And I admire her for saying, wait a minute, we need to look at how far away we're getting. But at the same time, Jorah is right. There's not a whole lot here for her. And of course, he reveals that the whole reason Zara wants to marry her is so that he can have one of the dragons as per Carthian marriage custom to ask for one of anything that the uh, mate possesses. That was an interesting twist. I, you know, because before I, I suppose I thought it was because she was a great prize. You know, she was technically some kind of queen. Right. She is very attractive. She's young. This is something I thought he would just be interested in adding to this collection. But, you know, when Jorah's like, listen, the thing about marrying someone here is you literally can't say no to what they ask. So <laughs> with you, you could ask for a single thing and that would be a single ship. You couldn't ask for the fleet. His single thing would be one of your dragons. And mm, 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 girl, he could have a lot of power with that thing. Yeah, it's fairly unbalanced when you look at it. And I just really, you know, as much as Danny should have kissed him. Let's just say that because <laughs> no, he, he saved her a dragon. Can we, can we just agree that, on that? That uh, Oh, I they, thought you were talking about Zara. No, no, Jorah. <laughs> no, she should she should have totally made out for Jorah to thank him for. Look, maybe their relationship isn't like that. Maybe I'm projecting. But ultimately... <laughs> Ultimately, she owes him one. Let's just say that. This is the, and not to mention the poison in the previous book, okay? <laughs> she, she owes Jorah her life many, many times over. Um, but that's kind of why I like Jorah, um, is because he, he continues to provide this very useful, uh, counsel to her. But, uh, she does have one more thing to do before she leaves. Uh, which is, of course, to consult the warlocks. It's true. She is not following Jorah's 
advice in this situation because she has she feels like she has exhausted what she can as far as who will speak to her and who will be able to actually help her while she's in Karth because she's essentially just spinning her wheels because I'm not getting any further to what I needed to be doing. I'm, I'm fed, I'm watered, I get it, but I need to be brave and I need to take care of what's going on. So she understands that the last bastion of hope before she heads out, if she can, uh, is to talk to the warlocks. And who doesn't want to talk to a warlock? Yeah. I would talk to a warlock. We'll definitely know like, hey, if she made out with them, though, because they have these blue, yeah. telltale sign. A few too many of those uh, blueberry ring pops. Dude, <laughs> ring Speaking pop. of things that I own, blueberry ring or pops are high on my list. My own for this chapter has to go to a little bit of backstory here, or I believe maybe it's Sorrow, um, or it's George just describing Karth in more detail. There is a group of... Uh, assassins called the Sorrowful uh, Men. <laughs> That's my own. The on, Sorrowful Men. And they will kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, but just before they do, the very last words that you will hear are, I am so sorry. <laughs> That's like Todd from Breaking Bad. Hey, nothing personal. Bam. <laughs> nothing personal. <laughs> yep. Okay. So we learned that Karth has a sensitive side. Um, in fact, many of the pureborns, I believe it is said, cry. Crying is a sign of humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danny is encouraged to grovel and cry, and she did so shamelessly. They still said no. But in general, people like these sorrowful men are, it's all this weird foreign custom to express an inner, uh, you know, upset, uh, outwardly. That, that's your ace in the hole, though. That's your moment that you have to act if you want to stay alive because you know that they have to say this before they kill you. So you got to take those <laughs> few seconds and use them to your advantage. I yeah. am so stop. <laughs> no, you're not. You're lying. <laughs> Wait a second. All right. I, I need uh, to put yeah. my hearing aid in. I wonder if anybody else's, uh, yeah, last breath or last words were. <laughs> No, you're not. Or exactly. Let me. I didn't. What? <laughs> Just say what, and then see if they stop to repeat themselves. <laughs> All right. Well, not to break the trend here. I'm gonna also give my own to the sorrowful men. There you go. The Dark Brotherhood of Karth. Now, if you played Skyrim or Oblivion, then you will know who I'm talking about. I'm gonna read this directly from the book, and it says, "Danny would sooner have wept for her gold." Now, this is the situation. Danny did not want to cry. Zaro, in this conversation with her, didn't cry himself, but when she was talking so much of the way she wanted to take over Westeros again because it's her rightful seat. Um, a single tear trickled down the side of his face, which oh. made me think, hmm. Anyway, so they want to get these gifts back, or at least Danny wants to get these gifts back because she gave all this money to these people that weren't going to give her what she wanted in the first place. Well, she's like, hell, what I gave them could have bought me a ship, so how do I get it? The book says this. Danny would have sooner have wept for gold. The bribes she tendered to Mathos Malarwen, Wendella Queer Death, and Egon Emeros, the Exquisite, might have bought her a ship or hired a score of swords. Suppose I sent Sir Jorah to demand the return of my gifts, she asked. And then it says, suppose the sorrowful man came to my palace one night and killed you as you slept, said Zaro. The Sorrowful Men were an ancient sacred guild of assassins, so named because they were always whispered, I am so sorry to their victims before they killed them. The Carthine <laughs> were nothing if not polite. It is wisely said that it is easier to milk the stone cow of Pharos than to ring gold from the pureborn. <laughs> of course, everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. So don't so, the pureborns really get the own because they're so hard ass? 
<laughs> I suppose it's like, we'll cry to your face, but we're going to hire some very skilled assassins to kill you if you bother us. Mm-hmm. And they'll be sorry about it. Yes. So my own also goes to a sorrowful man, but his name is Sir Jorah. Um, because oh, he just done. wants that Danny Poon, and he can't get it no matter how hard oh. he tries. Can we say Poon on this show? I don't think you can say Poon on, on a podcast. Well, That's I said so it. Bad. Uh, but, you know, he has his words of wisdom here when he says to her, you know, because she, she's talking about gathering this army and descending on Westeros, and he tells her, Nothing knits a broken realm together so quick as an invading army on its soil. And, you know, I think it's just such a a powerful quote, though, because, you know, she's she's starting to get into that mindset. And she has been for a while where she she keeps saying that she's the rightful queen, their rightful queen. And I think that, you know, we saw a lot of that in season two. And I think it really kind of altered our opinion of her. Right. Where we're saying, man, she's just this whiny person that just doesn't shut up. About being the rightful heir, the rightful queen, the rightful this, the rightful that. This is mine. I'll take it with, you know, blood and fire and I, well, not ice. That's wrong person, but I won't take it with ice. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, unless she's able to, to get it back from the Lannisters somehow. So I, I mean, you know, he goes on to say, you're a stranger who means to land on their shores with an army of outlanders who cannot even speak the common tongue. The lords of Westeros do not know you and have every reason to fear and mistrust you. You must win them over before you sail, a few at least. And I just thought it was such a cool thing. Like, despite the fact that all this fighting is going on within Westeros, the second there would be this enemy on their shores, they would band together to fight them off. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but it's kind of cool in concept. I, I, th- I think yeah. it's true. Yeah, I think it's – well, it's realistic I, or plausible at the very least. Um you know, because they could just just as quickly go back to fighting after it's done, after Danny's eliminated. Um, now, the interesting part of it is that Jorah doesn't seem to be terribly worried. He seems to have a plan for how they may actually win the favor of some people in Westeros before even arriving on the shore. He's got, he's planning like a, a a media campaign, maybe a viral video or two. But uh, P- who would he P- do that to? <laughs> no, a PSA. Sorry, to. Who would he do that through? Like you have to think Lady about Mormont. it realistically. <laughs> yeah, his wife, right? His or his sister? Sorry, his estranged no, his no, aunt. His his aunt. His aunt. Okay, okay. His, How could you forget <laughs> the sister well, of, aunt, of Old Bear? The sister of Old Bear, who is Jorah's father. So his his aunt. That's a, he is disgraced. He's a disgraced knight. Who is he going to talk to? What PR guy? Will even give him the time of day. Think about it realistically, though. I mean, who do we know at this point could be of any value to them in Westeros? I, Varys. I, yeah, I mean, he's really the only one. He seems to know them. Yeah. He seems to know what they're up to. And he served the Targaryens, you know, mm. before he served King Robert. Um, but I think that that's, you know, it's a valid point because if you look at any of the others – that we've met so far, whether it's the Starks or the Lannisters or, you know, the Greyjoys and, you know, so on, none of them, and even Stannis, you know, it, it doesn't really seem like they would be able to be won over by Daenerys, at least not at this point. It's such a hard call to make because it makes me think of if an outside invader outside of Earth were to attack, all of the petty squabbles that humans have would just go away. And if you look at it on a micro level with Westeros, you know, the people are probably sick of the civil war that's going on and 
to add insult to injury an invading army of people that can't even speak their tongue. Uh, it says in the book, you are a stranger who means to land on their shores with an army of outlanders who, can't, who cannot even speak the common tongue. I mean, come on. I think that they would band against Danny and wipe that out before they moved on. Or at least the, the separated segmented armies would take care of her on their own. Yeah. No, I, I think that's probably right. Yeah, it reminds me of Independence Day. Yeah, exactly. And well, yeah. the same thing would happen here, I believe. We probably have contingency plans for that, but we're getting a message from the Americans. Old Morse code. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, but Eric, you should be very uh, happy that I. I'm was thrilled, able man. Congratulations. You, you want me to pat you on the back? Else. Yeah. You want me to pat you on yeah, the back? Very okay. well, well done. Back. Congratulations. That's a virtual back pat. There's lots of conversations that can stem out of that. And we're not done talking about the situation with Danny, but there are more chapters to be read. Only and she does have chapters in the future. <laughs> yeah, uh, only two. two more. Yes. Stick with us. It'll happen. We were just talking about our Misa, and now we will talk about uh, Yusa. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. We we had some things to to comment on because I remember on Wednesday's episode we had that long discussion about whether or not um Ned could have risen and eaten everyone and caused <laughs> The Walking Dead season 5 to be written. I don't think that this is the case and of course we didn't really and this was just a uh, something we brought up to just kind of make a fun conversational flow, but so many of you guys reached out to us and and let us know well, we were sort of, you know, questioning, we were questioning whether or not the body had been actually fermented enough to be in such a clean bone state. But now it is so, 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 so much clearer. Thanks to Sunspear, Chicken Duck, Wild Seed. Very wild. <laughs> uh, speaking of Sunspear, though, she touched on something uh, that I thought was important. And, you know, we were kind of going back on back and forth a little bit on um, when we were talking uh, about the uh, the Catalan chapter on Wednesday, and she points out Tyrion was the one who sent the guards to break Jamie out of the castle. He and Varys talk about it uh, in earlier chapters, uh, and before they sent Ned's bones, they had a bunch of beetles on it to eat the leftover flesh, which Zach just pointed out. That's how they used to do it in medieval times. Um, but so thanks to Sunspear for pointing that out, though, uh, about Tyrion. So Catalan's instincts were correct. They were. You know, I suppose that if there were, uh, if they were going to transport a body, it would be best to be just bones because um, if there were a, not to be too disgusting, but rotting corpse, it may attract animals and large like bears and things to your party. If you're going up the King's Road on a month long journey. The bears can smell. You know what I'm saying, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wolves and stuff. It's, you don't want to, you know, attract big game it makes so much sense and obviously it's one of these things that we missed but you know it's so much better of an idea not to be traveling a body that is decomposing the bones are so much easier they're gonna be turned into bones anyway and obviously this was a custom done long ago and it's interesting that the silent sisters are given this task because they're so badass to be carrying this body like the way they are and they're the ones that you know take care of this entire situation so good for them we have some owns here for this daenerys chapter uh that were sent to us via twitter i just wanted to read a couple here first one from Catherine kelly who says jora about illyrio quote if he'd known they were going to hatch he would have sat in them himself mm-hmm. <laughs> own next one from gordy walls who i believe told us on an unaired portion of an aired episode that he would be returning uh to own own with us uh, in the future, here he is. He says, my own goes to Karth for taking side boob to new <laughs> and more epic heights. Yeah. Better make sure right, <laughs> Better make sure Miley don't read this shit. I've got an own here from email. Uh, Eric, you know what email is, don't you? It's email. Email, it's that thing that you do when... Um, 
It's that thing you do. When Twitter John Webster work. writes to us over You want to write more than 140 characters. <laughs> he says, my own for this chapter belongs to Zaro Zohan Daxos for sheer determination. You have to hand it to him. His inability to woe Danny isn't due to his lack of trying, though he really should have focused more on his nonverbal communication. <laughs> that was from John. Nicely done, sir. Okay, next one from Susan Stacy. Uh, Quaith owns for being at the right place at the right time to give Danny a confusing prophecy. Always love those. Uh, and Andy Robillard says, Rhaegal gets my own. If a dragon can tell a wine stinks, it must be bad. Such a good own. I was going to use that as my own before the, uh, dirty, dirty assassins were spoken about. Good own. Uh, I just wanted to give the, uh, the scrawlers on our wall on, uh, facebook.com slash game of owns a little bit of love here. Um, Leslie and Jason. Both um, are more knowledgeable than we are as it relates to flesh-eating beetles. Uh, they they pointed that out as well. Uh, it's scaring me a little bit, to be honest with you, that our listeners know this much about flesh-eating beetles. Uh, so uh, just keeping that in mind. And Leslie also went on to point out uh, – oh, I'm sorry. Jason actually went on to point out that um, you know Tyrion sends Cleos Frey back to River Run uh, and in the process tells Varys precisely the plan to free Jaime. Uh, so, again, uh, we appreciate you guys uh, pointing that out. You know, we're not perfect. There was such a massive outpouring of uh, just positivity because, you know, there are there are easy things to miss. And it's good to know that so many of you guys are on the pulse of all this. We appreciate all, all, and when I say all, I mean the several emails, comments, yada, yada, yada that you guys all sent to us. We appreciate each of them and all of them. Even the ones that are like, you fucking idiots. How did you not you! know that, you know, those two. We didn't get any like that. We didn't. We, we, we really didn't. But if you'd like to send us our first one like that, um, you can, of course, email us, contact at gameofowns.com. On Twitter, we are at gameofowns. And on Facebook, facebook.com slash gameofowns. Uh, and I know iTunes was mentioned briefly uh, before, uh, but you can, of course, head on over there, leave us some feedback on the show. It is still the month of October, so nothing less than five stars is acceptable. Uh, you can do what our friend Harvey Horses did. Now, that name sounds familiar, guys. I, I, did, did he tweet in as well at one point recently? It was, yeah, he had the great alliteration. So, mm-hmm. uh, he also, uh, felt the need, um, or actually say was compelled, uh, by our threats to, uh, leave a review on iTunes, uh, with the title Camel Balls. Who knew? <laughs> uh, the things you can learn on this podcast seem to be infinite. I like the balance or lack of that many hosts bring. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Okay. Five stars, of course. Are you saying we're tipping the scale? I, I, that's what Harvey said. I didn't say to the shit. side of nerd. What are you saying, I, Micah? Yeah, heart. Look, I'm not Harvey or horses, but uh, apparently he he feels that he is learning new things like camel balls. Uh, on hey, the who show. knew? I I almost guarantee that we have increased sales. Of, of that candy where it is sold in remote parts of the world. <laughs> sold like Beirut. <laughs> <laughs> Must be. Oh, I love camel balls. Yeah, yeah. That's not how they talk. Apologies Beirut. to Thorin Smallwood. We are out of time. Sorry, Thorin. I'm Zach Louie. I'm Eric Skull. And I'm Mike Tannenbaum. Day gooey. Ah, oh, Jesus.
can I ask for uh, a bit of clarification, I guess? Captain Creepyface. Oh, no. <laughs> in, in the show, we assign that uh, name to Pyatt Pre. We didn't, though. We, we talked we, about this. We already we already resolved it. You're in the UK. Oh, God. See, this is... I'm just going to give you a quick catch-up. Ready, Micah? I'm turning on my stopwatch. Here we go. Uh, accidentally, I think some people thought I was talking about Pyatt Pre. Um, but he does have a creepy face, too, so I let it slide. Okay. And yeah, so everyone has a weird face. It was kind of ambiguous in the in the initial episode it was kind of ambiguous. That yeah. was the episode where Quaith was introduced in the show. Um and she obviously she has the uh, gold uh, uh plates or whatever it is on her face, so. She reminds me of a shaker mask from Ocarina of Time. Yeah, she does kind of. She just Ooh. like throws down her little vanishing deku nut and I'm yeah, out of here. I'm telling you that uh <laughs> George R. R. Martin, he definitely played this game at some point. Yeah, you know, like it's, it's, the Gerudos it's possible, or the Dark Dothraki. It's possible that this book yeah. was written before Ocarina of Time came out. Um, yeah, it probably is. Oh yeah, definitely. If we get a publication to joke about. <laughs> so he inspired Ocarina of Time, is what. Uh, there you uh, go. There you go. Yeah, that makes saying. more sense. That's interesting. Yeah, well, it it's related if you think about it to what Eric. Uh, just pointed out the snake charmers. Uh, all right. Maybe it didn't tie in as well as I thought. it did. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, it didn't. It didn't. But I will say, um, <laughs> he's dead. <laughs> they killed him. Earlier. I heard the train and the snakes. The it's the snakes. Going off the I'm, I'm Darth. I'm Darth Vader now. 